0: Huh. Yeah. Let's go, last moment of the night and now my back's tight Back to the grind, folks, better act right Ready for the next time I see the bright lights got a train, here ready for the next fight All this work unnoticed, gotta be blind Disrespected again, I think I lose my mind hey, I got a question Okay, I'll bite You know that wrestling? No, it's fake, right? Damn it The ongoing battle with the dirtiest four-letter word in pro wrestling Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to, you know it's fake, right? The ongoing battle with the dirtiest four-letter word in professional wrestling. I am your host. My name is Brian Breaker, and welcome to the show. Which for, if it's your first time listening, I appreciate you stopping by. If you're an avid listener, I appreciate your continued support. This week is episode 64, as we uh, we zoom through year number two of this show. My guest is another guy who I've never actually podcasted with before. His name is Justin James. Justin James. And uh, this is a fun one to, to, to have on the show, mostly because I haven't spoken to this guy, you know, as I was thinking, it's like, it's been a few years, it's been over a decade. That's how sometimes in the wrestling business, a, uh, a friendship can, can blossom, but you don't really even keep in direct contact with people. And that's, I think something we're all guilty of. I know I certainly am. And it's not that we do it intentionally. It's just that you just don't see them that often. Uh, you know, I first met Justin in Las Vegas. Actually, I uh, I think I briefly told that story last week. But me and him got paired up together to just do an on the fly match. Never met the guy, know nothing about him. You two, you two wrestle. Boom, go. And um, and we talk about it a little bit on the show. That's such a hard thing to do. Um, you know, at the time, it's kind of like, well, that's just what you do. That's just what you do. And um, and I get that, but it is it is a hard thing to just up and do, honestly. We did the best we could. I was relatively new. I think he was only a few years in at the time, so you know it is what it is. And then he actually came to Harley Race's camp in 2009, and uh, we ended up talking for a long time and kind of just being like, "Ah, man, I'm sorry about that. That wasn't as good as it could have been." And just we we really developed a, a friendship from that point. And, you know, we're always, you know, kind of Facebook friends and things of that nature over the years. And so I knew that he had kind of moved away from wrestling as I had, but I think he did it a few years before I did. And so I, I want to get his perspective and he does, he has some interesting perspectives. Let me tell you, um, from dealing with injuries and things like that and kind of, um, you know, the, the real side of pro wrestling that sometimes we don't always look at. Because we uh, we don't think about it always, you know. Whether you're a fan or a performer, you don't think about like what's the long term if you keep wrestling. You know, it's one thing if you're, um, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin, which the feeling is he's getting back in the ring after a career ending neck injury, seemingly. But he's doing it for millions of dollars. We're not, you know. When when you're on the independent level, you might be lucky if you get paid, a, you know, thirty to fifty bucks. So is it worth it? And that's the things that we have to kind of ask ourselves, is this worth it? The, the permanent damage we're doing to our bodies, because it doesn't happen in one match. It happens over time, but it's a progression um, of destroying your body. And so me and Justin have a great conversation. So I won't, I won't keep any more, uh, any more in the intro here besides one more thing I do want to mention, but uh, (laughs) how about that slap last night from Will Smith? Just slapping the piss out of Chris rock. What do you guys think about that? Um, Everyone initially was like, ah, oh, it's a work. It's a work. Like, that's wrestling, right? It's a work. I smell a work. Um, you know, you, you, I've seen it, you know, slow down or in slow motion now. And I mean, he slapped him. There's no doubt. But even if it was a work, you'd, you'd have to be a real slap. Um, the thing about me that got me is that Chris Rock was thrown off. He didn't know what to do. You could tell he was like, well, Will Smith just slapped the shit out of me. Okay. Um, Uh, greatest night in the history of television, folks. Like, that's, he was, I think he was a really, um, and then, like, you know, Will cussing at him, and he's like, okay, I I won't say anything. Like, it was a joke, man. You know, more information's come out, right? I mean, apparently, Jada Pinkett Smith suffers from alopecia. I didn't know that. Did you guys know that? I don't know if that, that might have been known, but I don't think it was, like, well, well known. And, uh, and Will Smith was laughing. Did anyone notice that, too? He was laughing until... I guess until she wasn't, right? And they didn't show it all, but they showed them on camera. She's not happy. He's laughing. So it makes me wonder, like, did he get a look from his wife? Like, no, we're not laughing at this. And his tune kind of changed, and he got up there and slapped him. I mean, I think at the end of the day, that's assault, right? I mean, if you're Will Smith and you're up for an Academy Award, which he won, is that the best look? To go out there and just you know slap somebody. I I don't know. Probably not. Um, would it have been better to pull him to the side, like, hey man, can I talk to you for a second? And um, and he didn't he didn't apologize to Chris Rock. He apologized to like everybody else, but not to Chris Rock. Is there heat there? Is there bad blood there? Like, what is everybody's thoughts on this? I know like the more will come, right? Because Will Smith will do a sit down interview. Chris Rock will do a sit down interview. Everyone will get. Their thoughts out there, but I was just curious what everyone thought. It was a it was a pretty wild thing, you know. Hey, but get on the Academy Awards, right? I've heard they've had declining ratings for the last several years. Well, happens at the top of the show that gets people to tune in. So, <laughs> what are you gonna do? But anyway, let's uh, let's kick it over to my conversation with Justin James. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Joining me on the line via Skype all the way down from the Chicago area, the one and only Justin James. Justin, how you been, man?
1: I'm good, man. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Appreciate
0: it. Uh, dude, it's excited to have you on the show. We, we first met, geez, what, 10-plus years ago, I feel like? It's been a while.
1: It's been a long time. The first time I actually met you, I remember, was at the Cauliflower Alley Convention.
0: Right. So if I remember right... Didn't we get paired up to wrestle on yeah. fly without knowing each other?
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, we can't. That, that is exactly it. Now, I was late to that part of getting in. This is the first time in Vegas. We were out partying the night before. So I'm coming in a little hungover, you know. And then all of a sudden, me and my buddy, who uh, I trained with, we tried to jump in the ring. And I believe it was Oliver John. Like, hey, no, no, no. Like, we're picking you guys. I'm like, oh, so much for that. And then, uh, yeah, we did
0: get paired up. what's funny about that is I remember calling on the fly is like people ask me all the time what I I think about it do you think it's better and I'm like to me I think it's a skill you need to be able to do it you also Mm -hmm. need to be able to put stuff together for creative purposes but that whole situation was just kind of like it was awkward wasn't it like you basically take people that don't know each other and see if they can pull something off and it's like Even if it's okay, it's not going to be great. It's just, you're just trying to make this acceptable.
1: I agree with you 100% on that. It's definitely a skill. And, you know, as much as we train, there were a lot of times where it's like, okay, um, our trainers go, okay, you guys got 10 minutes the finish, and you just go out there. And, you know, it it takes time to really learn how to do that. And I think that was definitely, for me, something that I always struggled a little bit more on the fly um, as opposed to having a little bit of base, a foundation of calling a little bit of the match and then going
0: on. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think I think sometimes with, um, with wrestling, it's always about developing a skill, right? Whether it's, to me, like obviously there's promo skills, there's um, in-ring skills, but calling on the fly is a completely different type of skill. And I, and I do think you need that. Because things can happen, right? All of a sudden, you're wrestling a guy and he tears his knee up, right? So now you got to change everything. But I, I don't know. I'm not always a big fan of just like, hey, we're going to put these guys in a tough situation and see if they can succeed because that's that's difficult. And I and I know with wrestling, there's been many situations over the years where you get put in situations almost just to see if you will sink or swim. And we were kind of yeah. talking before we started recording how like if we went into, I think with the knowledge we have now, you know, then, I mean, that was 10 years ago. We we're early twenties at the time. Our perspectives would be a whole lot different.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. And you know, it's, it's, I remember going down in wrestling Tennessee and they were having all the heels and the baby faces in different locker rooms. And then you, you did not know who you were working until you get out to the ring, and somebody told you what the finish was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was great earning, but at the same time, you know, you want to succeed in the process as well, right? And uh, that's why I always kind of struggled with it. Like I, I thought it was great for training purposes, but on show days, it wasn't wasn't what I preferred to do. You know, going in the ring blind. So I think a lot of it, too. I'm sure you could attest is over time you get used to what moves coming or how how people the feel the ring Mm -hmm. and what's going to happen next so you could kind of go with the flow and like oh man that was really great we kind of just you know winged it on there and i knew where you were going with that and uh but that that's stuff that happens over time and constantly training
0: so sure it's perfecting your craft right but like you you mentioned going to a show and doing that it's like the people in the audience don't understand what you're doing, so all of a sudden they see this match and they're like, Well, that was kind of boring. Well it's not on you. Like that's the that's the creative you're given and that's always been kind of a, a frustrating thing for me.
1: No, I agree with you hundred percent. And on the opposite of that, I think about people who call their match the whole way through. And I just I was never for that. I, I think I, agree. I was that you know like trying to remember everything uh, spot for spot you know hey step 27 do this throw a punch right and i'm gonna block you know i mean i just call the open you know transition and go to the finish and everything else was just fillers you know and i, I really for me personally i really excelled um just calling my heat mm-hmm. on the fly me too and that's where i was I, I really felt like that was better for me I did, I always would talk when I was, cause I did more heel than anything. And, uh, working with a lot of baby faces, you know, I'd go out and pop my ass off in the beginning and go, let's go over your shine right away. And, uh, you know, once we get to the cutoff, just follow my lead. I'll keep it basic, you know, and, and a lot of times I really, you know, we were really taught to stress the importance of playing up to the crowd. Mm-hmm. And there's guys where I train with, I mean, they're still working and they're very good workers now, but for the longest time, they just, Dull could wrestle, but couldn't work the crowd if their life depended on it, you know? Right. And, uh, I mean, there's just so much more to having people be involved in your matching. I always think about it as, you know, being over, if you, if your music hits and you come through the curtain, whether they're cheering for you or hating on you and booing you, you're already over. You already got that job. And I always prided myself that when my music hit and I came out, everybody was booing me and ripping me a new ass, you know? So I'm like, all right, there we go. That's going to make it an easier night for me. I'm not having to to work too hard as far as working the crowd, you know? And, but I always played up to them in my matches. And I think that's important. You can't negate the fact of working the crowd. No, so. I,
0: I agree completely. I think sometimes that is a bit of a lost art where people maybe focus on, one thing too much. Like you said, uh, put putting every piece of a match together. I feel like there's so much room for error when you do that. And, and, and I mean, I've worked guys before where, you know, he's like, Hey, I'll, I'll put you in the corner. I'll give you two forearms. Then I'll do this. And I'm like, well, I mean, put me in the corner, do whatever you want. I know what's coming. He's like, okay. And then he does exactly two forearms, you know? So it's like, you know, if you take, I mean, if you give me a couple of shoulder checks in the corner and, you know, we even climb up, do the old dreaded 10 punches. Like, I, I know where you're headed. I'm not, I, I yeah. know what's coming. I'm not going to move forward. But it was just that little thing of, like, I have to do exactly what I say. And I remember um, wrestling this real big kid one time at this real small spot show. And he he shoots me into the, and the ring was not the best ring. He shoots me in, and I take a nice hard buckle, in the, the the ring didn't break, but the hook came off of the pole. Oh man. But it looks, you know, it looks like the ring broke. And yeah. so I was going to feed out and take a spine buster or something from him. And I just, I just went down and sold it. And he went to pick me up. I was like, let me sell this because this is bigger than what we could have done. Like that. And that to me is like a an example do. of going with the moment in that time because it's like, no, this is better. We'll get to that. I'll still take the move, but they're still reacting. Cause the ring broke. We got to We got to figure that out and change it up and I think that's that also comes with time right because we learn those little tricks as the years go
1: oh yeah there's so much more to it it really is an art form and I don't think people understand it enough uh, of what really goes into it the dedication that we as individuals put in to be success, successful and be vulnerable in the ring you know you go out there's a crowd of two three hundred four hundred people whatever it is and you know, you're wearing tights and right. you're going to try to convince people that you're a baby face or a heel. Like, it's a pretty vulnerable situation. And a lot of times I've seen where people got ate alive and like, yeah, man, maybe this this just isn't for me, you know. So um, I think I wanted to ask you a question. Sure. What's one of the smallest crowds you ever worked in?
0: Oh, geez. I remember we did a WLW show for Harley. And it was in this really small town of like – it was I think it was called like Summersville, Missouri. And here's another okay. thing too. And you'll, you'll get this as an indie wrestler. Some people may not if you're not actually in the business. But as you know, a venue is very dependent upon the size of it. So this is a high school gym, but it's yeah. like 20 people. So it looks almost completely empty because they're all scattered around. You know, and it's like the bleacher. So you got like one guy down here, one one couple way up on the top row. Um, yeah, so very very few people. And the town was so small. Apparently, that night they were doing some type of of something else. So basically nobody came to the show. And I remember very specifically that night it was like we I had a I had a three way match with a couple of other guys, and like nothing we did would would land as far as. A reaction. And yeah. you know, and, and in our business when we're, we're we're doing everything for a reaction, when yeah. that's not hitting it, man, it hits you hard because you're not sure what to do. And I was only about three years in at the time. I think now with the knowledge I have I might be able to figure it out a little bit more because yeah. all of a sudden if you're like in my opinion, like if you're taking bumps and they're not reacting, we need to do something else. Maybe we need to start calling people out. Like you know what I mean? Start getting on the mic yeah. talking to a guy individually. I don't know, but it's like I knew at that moment I'm like, this isn't working, and we need to we need to change things up. But it just, it, yeah, it was an awkward experience for sure.
1: Yeah, we, you know, there's a few times I've been in some smaller smaller venues or small crowds, but I remember this one time, and uh, we were in Illinois. I was in Hoffman State Illinois, and we had used the venue a few times, and we That's draw right. drew all right, you know, mm-hmm. nothing crazy. But I felt like we always did pretty decent there, and for some reason, this one night. Uh I think there were seven people in the crowd. Oof. Seven or eight people. And we almost canceled the show. And then everybody just kinda said, you know what? Let's go out. Um we knew we weren't really getting much of a payday that day and we wrestled I actually wrestled a really good match against a good friend of mine, uh, Rough Crossing, and uh we had a heck of a time in the ring. Now <laughs> Even though there were seven people in the crowd, we still had fun and made the most out of it. But it's kind of demoralizing, you know? And I feel like um, when you see that the house is packed and you're like, you're jazzed up, you're like, all right, I want to give it everything. And it's hard at times to go out and you're like, man, this is so small. But you got to find a way like, hey, doesn't matter if it's seven people or 700. They still paid money to see you wrestle and they want to be entertained. So you got to go out there and show them.
0: Yeah man and I think with with independent wrestling it's such a much more intimate setting you know like if even if it was like 200 people that's a completely different vibe than you know 7 or 20 or whatever small crowds they are because it's just a different feeling but I mean there's also times when I've been at small shows where it's like 4 or 500 and that feels like Madison Square Garden right it feels huge in yeah. those gyms but but yeah and you're right though like when you have those big shows like that you do feel more jazzed. You do feel more like, all right. But at the same time, as you know, man, if you can get seven people or 20 people invested, then you can definitely get four or 500 invested. It's, a oh. it's, you know, it's, it's almost easier in that regard.
1: Oh yeah. It's contagious. You know, you start seeing other people react a certain way and then people, all people jump into it. No, absolutely, so.
0: man. I have kind of switch gears a little bit. Um, what made you decide to um, to get into wrestling? Were you a, were you a fan as a young kid? Like, how did that start for you?
1: So, uh, as a little kid, I mean, I, I give credit to my uncle. My uncle really stepped in for me and my brothers, and uh, was active for you know. My dad's been, been in my life, but my uncle really stepped in to be a more predominant role, of teaching wrong and right. And um, you know, I remember even my dad and my uncle taking us to when we were very little to Rosemont horizon, which is now all state arena in Chicago that WWE uses Mm -hmm. and going and seeing all the wrestlers. And I just always gravitated towards it. And I was such a Hulk Hogan mark as a little kid. Hey, you know what? Even at 35 years old now, I still am, you know, cause that's, that's really what put me in the business. And my uncle, um, he did professional wrestling so I always wanted to follow in his footsteps as my idol. You know, he taught us how to amateur wrestle. We all had success with amateur wrestling. And then, um, you know, I I kind of got in because my uncle did. And he was trained by Killer Brooks down in Texas. And, uh, you know, he took a period of time off, a few years off. And then once I was, uh, I want to say I was in junior high, he started back up again and then, I hit an age in high school where I was wrestling, and for me, it was just it was larger than life. it was such a great feeling. I just wanted to experience what that was like, and um, when I was 16 years old, I remember I was a sophomore year in high school, and I wasn't trying to start that young, but this company called CCW at the time, it was called Classic Championship Wrestling, they're now referred to as Powell Entertainment. Um, they, they have some of the guys there broke off from a previous company and started their own. And I, you know, I was 16, a sophomore in high school, having my first wrestling match. It's still surreal to me. But by no, you know, question, I was definitely not ready, you know? I mean, I think it took me a couple of years to really get a good grip of what I was doing. And then even a few years later, uh, when I was, you know, maturing more and putting it on some size, then I really understood it. But as a 16-year-old kid, you know, I was still in high school trying to get my first job, competing in amateur wrestling, and you know. So it was it was a little bit tougher in the beginning.
0: Well that's the thing, is I think we're all kind of somewhat unprepared for those first matches, right? I mean, I think that's the that's the problem sometimes is I think people want to be as good as possible and, and match number one, but that's that's part of the learning, you know, and I, I remember my first match. When the guys told me, he was like, "You know, you you think you're ready, but you're not." And in two years, you realize how unready you were. And it's like, wow, he was so right, you know, because it's it's a learning curve with this industry.
1: Yeah, yeah. no, you're right. That and it is. I mean, i I've, I still have the VHS tapes, and I went back recently and watched my first actual match. Because actually, what I liked what our the company that I was involved with they did. They always had a battle royal. And that was basically for all the new wrestlers to get some experience in being out with the crowd. And every year, um, whoever won the battle royals um, would compete at one event, one of our bigger shows, and they would be, uh, become, be crowned king of the royals. So it was a great experience for me to get my feet wet the first few months. And then, you know, just on the shows, hey, I already worked the match, but go out in the Royal. And then we did, you know, we'd mess around in the ring and have fun and just get a, a, another opportunity to work the crowd. So I always thought that was really cool. And not a lot of companies do that. And I think it's an awesome experience for rookies and kids to kind of find themselves as opposed to, hey, you're in a singles match and you're going to go get squashed. Good luck, you know? Right no so I, I that. think
0: that's I think that's a great idea because with a battle royal it's it's also it's it's not there's not much to one after you do a few of them you I remember as a kid always that, like loving to watch a battle royals as a as a performer I realized like oh these are actually kind of boring you know but because it's it's not much not much happening right. you know it's like exactly. of trying to throw a guy over you know staying kind of near the rope so you don't get stepped on and stuff like that but um yeah
1: the big difference as a kid then is when you really understood what was happening.
0: Exactly. But, but I agree. I think that's a really good idea of getting guys out there to get, you know, a little bit of experience because now, like when you go into match number one, where it's a singles match, you don't have to worry about, Oh, I've never been in front of a crowd. Cause you've done that maybe a few times already. And you're like, you said, you got your feet wet. You're a little bit over the initial nerves. Now it's like, you can kind of try to focus on you know, yeah. delivering in the ring the best you can.
1: Yeah, my first match after a couple of royals was a guy, it's a guy named Saken, and he's uh, he's out of Tennessee, and his his real name's Rick Reynolds, and it, you know, so knowledgeable and helped us all for so long and led a lot of guys and giving us good advice on how to work better in the ring and just how you need to act in a locker room. And I remember watching this tape, and I'm like, oh my god, I remember the time. I did such a good job. I'm like, this is so rough. But uh, at a 16 year old age, only being in for like three or four months, like that's where I should have been. You know, like I did good for my age, four months into the business, first match. That's where, you know, I should have excelled this, that bottom line, you know? But then again, two years later, I would watch that tape. And now even, man, this has been so long, over 17 years. I'm like, oh, wow, that was really a little bit rougher than I thought it was, you
0: know? Sure. It's it's so interesting, too, because I think we we gauge things so much differently. Like, you know, you look back at maybe your first few years, and you're like, man, I really didn't know what I was doing. And then I remember thinking at five years in, I'm like, I, I really feel like I have a good grasp of what I'm doing. But I, I, I didn't, you know? And then seven, eight years in, it's like, okay, I think I know. I think I got it. For me, it honestly took almost like 10 years before I really felt like you could put me in a situation and I could figure a way out of it if if things went sideways or whatever. Because I think there's there's nothing you can – experience will triumph all, I think, in that regard. If you have the experience of being in front of a crowd, being able – like I used to tell guys all the time. I would have people come up to me like, hey, man, I'm not really good with promos. I'm like, get a microphone. He's like, what do you mean? I was like go to a show and take the microphone and he's like uh, they didn't they didn't say anything about doing a promo I was like don't ask just take the microphone I was like don't make it long don't be yeah. like a 45 minute you know monologue but just get the microphone for 30 seconds and just say something well yeah but I'm, not, I'm not comfortable and I'm like that's the point like you have to me like promos <laughs> got better when I started doing them more regularly because it is it is a skill like just like wrestling you have to do it more. And the more you do it, the better it usually becomes.
1: No, you know what's funny you say that is. Um, how was I? I think it was 19, 19 years old. And I got hurt and I couldn't wrestle for a few months and they put me in a role to manage a couple guys who were, who were green, uh, greener than I was at <laughs> that point. And it gave me a chance to really develop up the microphone skills because up to that point, I wasn't any good at it. And honestly, that was the first opportunity I had at learning how to work crowd uh, from the outside of the ring, going out with these two guys uh, that were a team. And it instilled in me the confidence to be comfortable in the ring talking to everybody, and then, you know, you're obviously working the crowd on the outside, trying to get a rough interference, and it, it was it was such a great experience. And I, really, I really prided myself on my mic skills and ability to talk to a crowd. And then it got to a point, and all of a sudden, a few years later, I was getting mic time pulled away from me, and I didn't understand it. So along with what you're saying, what I decided to do is I stole an idea from Jimmy Hart, and I started coming out with a megaphone. That way, I could still talk to people and say what I needed to say. Hey, if I wasn't getting a mic time, you were still going to hear me some way loud enough.
0: You know? Well, it, but it's it's smart, though, right? I mean, it's if you're going to, like, okay, you're going to take my mic away, all right, I'll, I'll come out with a megaphone, you know? And if they yeah. say something, like, okay, well, give me the microphone then. Like, it, it's one of those things sometimes where you have to figure out, also, too, on a show amongst, you know, because I'm sure you've been on shows where it's like 12 matches long, it's way too long you have to figure out a way to stand out sometimes and oh, absolutely and and sometimes that's you know at that point people have seen a lot of wrestling and when they've seen a lot of wrestling it's like okay you know they've seen the they've seen you know the the chain wrestling they've seen the high flying they've seen the the characters now now what well they haven't maybe haven't seen this they haven't seen the guy with the megaphone yet so that's a way to even stand out even more Oh yeah, and
1: you know, a lot of times people are like, "Oh, some, that's already been done by so and so. They did that." You know, but it's okay to steal something and make it your own. Sure. And for me, I felt like I made it my own. And then I was coming out to the ring, and then people were bringing mini megaphones in the crowd to yell back at me. or then I would because I had a siren button on mine too. I would just be standing in the ring and the crowd would be, you know, the people that were rooting for the heels, they'd be making the siren sound just go with their voice. And my guy, well, see that, like that's over. Like clearly it works for me. I mean, eventually I got the microphone back again, but at that point I didn't even need it. I was having such a great time just grabbing my microphone and I was using it as a prop in the ring, um, you know, all the time. And definitely if I was going to hit somebody over the head with it, you know, so, or I was teasing the megaphone was coming. That I was going to try to hit somebody and had ref pulled away, and then boom, you know, uh, babyface hits me with a big move, and maybe I get rolled up one, two, three. So, no, it was just a great, great tool for me. And I, I really found a lot of success using that prop.
0: For sure. And I think sometimes, too, that's also realizing, like you said, <clears throat> people are, are bringing, like, maybe the toy megaphones or whatever, or people are making the sound. So it's working, right? And that's understanding. Like, we had a guy um where i where i uh wrestled in oklahoma there for a while that had a little bit of a belly on him and his last name was dixon and people started chanting dixon's donuts <laughs> but you know like it makes you laugh because it's funny and he kind of asked me about it i was like go with it because if they made that up on their own they're going to keep cheering it like exactly. and i said i was telling him like dude you need to make like 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 a video like where someone captures you just devouring donuts or something and like you have like that really funny looking face while your mouth is covered in frosting or whatever and, and like there's so many ways you could go with it it's it just and I'm the promoter at the time didn't really think it was funny and I'm like there might be something to this man like all of a sudden like you know Ted DiBiase stuffing money in people's mouths he starts stuffing donuts in people's mouths like. There there's so many ways you can go with this. And like yeah. I say with wrestling, man, almost anything's on the table if you if you really think about it hard enough, right? I mean, because I, I always try to tell people I'm like if if someone's coming to a wrestling show that maybe is not a diehard fan, they've never really watched wrestling, maybe they're coming because their kid likes it, or they're coming with a buddy just to check it out. They may not remember all the moves, they may not remember this or that, but they're gonna remember that one thing that pops out, you know. Absolutely. A guy coming out with a megaphone, you don't forget that. A guy doing something completely off the wall, that's going to stick with them. And I think that's, to me, a big thing about wrestling is if you're making moments, right? And you're making people realize, like, I'm glad we did this instead of going to the movie theater. I'm glad we did this instead of, you know, watching something on Netflix. We actually got out of the house. We spent our own money on live entertainment. And even though it's quote-unquote pro-wrestling, I'm glad that we came out and supported this because this was a lot of fun.
1: Oh yeah, 100 percent man. I think it's you know it's it's something that everybody should experience. You know, at, at least once, mm-hmm. going to his show and just supporting them, You could have laughs with it, too. You know, and it's it's there's so much more to understanding the art form and what goes into it. I just love seeing the reaction of kids. You know, for and you could understand being a heel. For me, man, watching kids cry or get upset when I would rip their sign, I mean, like, that was great. That's true heat. I used oh, yeah. to get pissed off, you know, but I always would write my wrong afterwards. If I ruined somebody's sign or, you know, made a kid cry, made sure that I got a, a poster and had a bunch of the boys in the back sign something, and after the show was over, I'd go run it up to the mom and give it to the kid, you know, just kind of you know make sure I was doing, doing my service. And, uh, I mean, I never had to do that, but it, I just felt like, hey, you know what? I, w- I just needed you to cry or get upset for a few minutes while I was out there, but I don't want to in some reason. I want them to like the experience of being there. But that, you know, that's great heat. So that was just something I did. And I'm sure some people were like, oh, I would never do that. You should never go You know, like, I wasn't that type of person. Who I, who I portrayed in the ring is not why I am as an individual, you know? But at the same point, I feel um, our characters are an extension of us. So there was a lot of truth to who I was as the bad boy Justin James when I went to that persona, you know? And then I kind of, like, I got a little bit, there's a lot of times where I was more my character than I was who who I am. And I remember my mom telling me, you're acting a little too much like your wrestling character all the time. And it was creating issues with my relationships at the time. And uh, then, you know, I'd really take a step back and I'm like, hey, that's who I am, you know, every weekend, maybe on a Saturday night for a small time. That's not who I need to be 24-7. So, yeah, I think you got to find a balance in keeping your character in check as
0: well. <laughs> oh, well, for sure. I think sometimes, too, it's important to have that time where you're completely checked out of the business. Because I know sometimes for all of us, it's easy for it to be, even if you're not, Wrestling, or around wrestling we're thinking about it or we're, yeah. we're kind of cutting promos in our heads or thinking about ooh what if I if I did this or I did that and you know this would be this this great thing and sometimes I think we need that like complete change where it's like no wrestling for a few days you know what I mean like it's just almost like a detox from the industry sometimes no no absolutely you have to have a balance there's plenty of times and when
1: you're when you're in wrestling and you're training with everybody you know, you're, you're constantly around the same people. And the one thing that you guys all agree on is your passion for the business. But sometimes when you really remove yourself, you're like, well, that's the only thing we ever had in common. You know, I don't really have these guys outside of wrestling. And, uh, and I, that changes as you get older. You know, you get different friends or uh, just maturity and age. But, you know, I still talk to a, a portion of the guys that, I train with or my trainer, but it's not as consistent as I was when I was involved in wrestling all the time. You know, I mean, I have my own life now and do my own things.
0: And kind of speaking of that, I know here in the last few years, you know, I stepped away from wrestling, and I know you have as well. Uh, What was that like for you? I know because you you wrestled like I think you even said it earlier about seventeen years. What was it um, that made you decide, like, okay, I think it's time to move away from this, at least for now? So <clears throat> I was in the business, I would say, in total over just about 10 years
1: or over 10 years. And for the, for you know, it would be, this, this coming May would be 19 years if I would have stuck with it. It would have been 19 years. And, um, you know, I suffered... Some really bad concussions right before I went for my trial with WWE. And I did not listen to my body. I did not listen to my doctors. And I was trying to fight through it. And it was a night we were, I was feeling really good about myself. I was putting on some size and I knew that uh, the trial was a few months away. And I, you know, um, I had just landed my first job too. So I was out of college and I'm a, signed on as a PE teacher. I got a wrestling coaching job as well. So, you know, at that point, too, I'm like, well, what if something good happens for this? Am I going to stick with teaching? Am I going to move on? Right. So there was first year of teaching. All these things are happening. And I go out and I wrestle in Indiana. And uh, I was tag teaming that night with my buddy, Rough Crossing. And we ended up wrestling two guys. And they were just reckless in the ring. And uh, Rough, well, his name is Rick. He ended up getting a shiner in the ring. The guy stiffed him in the face, hit him with a chain. And um, I got, he went, the guy went to kick me while I was down on the ground selling. And he hit me, ended up, he was trying to kick, I think, my arm. And somehow he clipped my my head side of my temple. And it hurt so bad that I didn't stay down. I shot up and popped him right in the face. I was so pissed off. Sure. I knew. I knew when I got to the back my vision was off. And I just, I'm screaming at the guy in the back. I go, how can you do that? I go, you just, you clearly don't know what you're doing. I was so mad. Sure. And obviously going up to knowing that, uh, WWE was just around the corner, you know, a couple months away. I'm like, this is, I was really pissed off because I had been wrestling really good at this time. And I really felt like at that point it was 2011. I was, I had a really good grasp of Who I was and how I was working in the ring and what I needed to do to try to, you know, kind of grow some wings and adventure out. And like an idiot, I started, if I would have just stayed away for two weeks and not done anything, I would have been fine. But because WWE was in the back of my mind, like, nope, I got to get out, got to go to the gym. So like four days later, I'm feeling good and go to the gym and I'm lifting chest and I think I was doing decline. And my head just felt terrible. It was a worse feeling. And uh, this is something I didn't know at the time is you could give yourself another concussion without even hitting your head. You know, so just all that weight that I had on, that was enough to throw me off. And then the next day, I ended up getting kicked in the face with a soccer ball at work. And I temporarily lost vision in my eye. I was rushed to the emergency room. I mean, it was just a nightmare. So three concussions in a week. And all within like six days of time, it was it was not good, and I just I don't feel like I ever truly recovered from that. And then I started; it wasn't the neurologist I wasn't I was seeing wasn't really helping me out, put me on the wrong medication, and you know every time I took a bump in the ring or uh, the whiplash, it just made it worse. So, you know, after the WWE tryout, um, I felt like I kind of dropped the ball up there. I didn't wrestle as good as I could have. I didn't cut a promo as good as I could have. And to be honest with you, I was still having headaches. And I was just so in my own thoughts. And I, I hung it up after that in 2012. I tried to stick around for a little bit, and it just I just couldn't feel good. So I removed myself from wrestling. And obviously, like everybody else, and I'm sure you did too, Ryan, you you came back, wrestled a couple matches, and you're like, I can't do this. I mean, I, I definitely did that a few times. but It's not the I, same, I, I, right? No, it's not. It's not. I I missed it, and the last time I was in the ring working was November of 2017. And I just, I knew. I'm like, I just, I can't do this anymore. My head doesn't allow me to. So, in turn, throughout the years, because I've had so many mild concussions, and this is what people don't realize, they, they all add up. Sure. And now I'm at a point, man, where if I get hit the wrong way or I get jostled. It throws me off. It could be a day, a week, a month, and it's it's like i got to hit the reset button. Mm -hmm. And um, I got really messed up in a match that I came back in. I actually ran a show in the city of Chicago, and I put this together, and I shouldn't have wrestled, and I was actually doing really well for myself. Um, I was in good shape. I was working out all the time. I wasn't having any issues running, and I think I got kicked twice really hard in the head. And that's why it's like, it blows my mind when I see people on TV now or just on these, indie shows when they're just blasting everybody in the head. Cause mm-hmm. so I think about, and I used to take that stuff before, but not think twice about it, but now all the things that I've had to battle, it's, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I would never let anybody hit me with a chair or kick me in the head the way that I see some of these guys do it to each other. And I saw in 2015, I wrestled this show and no, I'm sorry. It was 2016. I wrestled this show, and I got all messed up. And that led to basically three years of me never really being able to work out. So it was really bad. I went through depression again from it. And finally, I found a neurologist a few years ago that does functional neurology. And this is what people don't know about. And not a lot of people do this enough. This functional neurologist, uh, it was more than just prescribing medication. So, I mean, I'm in, I do therapy with my eyes, all different tests and stuff, making sure that I can get my vision back. Cause a lot of these, a lot of it really is when you're having these headaches, it's, it's your eyes are off. You know, so I do a lot of therapy and I still do at home stuff every day just to make sure as maintenance, I'm feeling okay. And, you know, I go on for checkups every month or every other month, what, um, just to make sure I'm doing good and in case I have any flare ups. But it made the difference for me. And the, the first difference I noticed was I started dreaming again. And I didn't even realize I wasn't even dreaming. I didn't even think about it. And all of a sudden, I started having vivid dreams. And then I was able to work with weights. And I mean, Ryan, I was in such a bad spot that I was trying to go to the gym. I'd work out, and I'd have to leave within a half an hour. And then it would lead to a month of, like, headaches. And it was just, it was bad. It was really, really bad. So I've been such an advocate for individuals taking care of themselves uh, with head injuries. And a lot of people are always, you know, pushing, fight through it, fight through it. And I'm like, you know, you've got to be smart because it's changed my life in the past 10 years. You know, it's really been 10 years of dealing with it. And, uh, you know, I've it's humbled me in a lot of ways. And I, I don't put it on anybody. But in return, the, the other things that I've done is I've really, really found myself in a new light. I've, you know, I've been pretty successful in teaching. Uh, I run my own wrestling program, coaching other sports as well, and it's just, it, it really has helped me a lot. And, you know, I don't think I would have been the coach or the person I am now if I wasn't teaching and coaching full-time, you know. Had I been wrestling, that that would have been different. So it's, it's interesting how it played out. It just sucks that it kind of came at the hands of, I've had injuries, and I've you know people say how many concussions do you have. I said over twenty, for sure. I've had over twenty. I can think of you
0: know, yeah. Well, I I remember, and I'm sure. Obviously, you know who Chris Nowinski is, and he's done a lot of a lot of research yeah. on on concussions, especially you know post uh, Chris Benoit after that incident took place in 2007. But I know I saw a video interview with him one time where he was describing what a concussion was and because here's the thing, man, like, you know, you, you're from the same era. I am. How many times did you quote unquote, get your bell rung? Right. right. I mean, we didn't think, we didn't think that was a concussion then, well. but I, I remember him saying like, well, if you ever see stars and I'm like, that's every match, right. To some degree, yeah. you, you know, you take a, a bad bump cause we've all done it where, or, you know, you, you take a, you know, something you whiplash too hard to turn buckle or, or whatever it might be. I mean, I remember the first time I ever took a power bomb. it was just like everything went like kind of blank for a second. Yeah. Because of the... See wind. It, yeah. And slowly, the slow fade back in. Yeah, exactly. The slow fade back in. It's almost like um, like your eyes adjusting. If it's pitch black and you turn the lights on real quick, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. And... And that's the stuff that I don't think people quite realize is how that does affect you. That does that does hit you, and and like you you're talking about people not really taking care of themselves. That's what's so interesting to me is when I will be at a show that's like a small show. If I because if, I still show up occasionally and watch guys and I'll do commentary or things like that, and yeah, and I'll see them and I'm like, man, you probably didn't need to take that bump. And it's like, oh yeah, but it, you know, I wanted to, and I'm like. I understand. I get it. But think about the show that you're at. I don't think it's necessary. And granted, we're living in a completely different world. You know, we have like social media and gifts and TikTok and all these things to go viral, which could eventually lead to you making big money. So I do understand. You know, I I feel like I understand it. I guess, but it's it's still one of those things. You still only have one body. I remember a guy described it to me one time. He's like, you know, you got to think about it. If you're a carpenter. You have to have your tools. If you don't have your tools, you can't build stuff. Thus, you don't work. Our tools are our body. If we don't have our body, we can't work. And I and I and I, and I feel like that's a pretty accurate analogy, right? If, if your knees are bad, if your back is bad, if your neck is bad, if your head is bad, all that stuff adds up. And if you don't have a, a solid body and in, in your in your hurt or whatever, it's going to severely limit your ability to try to make money in this business.
1: No, and that's the truth, I and mean, you're right, and I remember saying that to my brother, my brother saying the same thing to me. You got one body, one head, you gotta take care of yourself. And I'm sure, Ryan, you know, at your age, at our age now, we're middle-aged thirties, you know, it's still weird to be saying that, because I still feel young at heart. But, you know, you wake up every day just like I do, with some makes and pains, you're like, oh, that's from years of doing that, oh, you yeah. know? No, uh, I mean, I, I actually picked up the past few years, been doing hot yoga just to loosen my body up more, and it's it actually it's helped a lot. But definitely being up here in Chicago, you know, with the cold weather, it makes everything stiffen up. And I know, like, I have lower back issues, my knees are messed up, but that's also I attribute that to years of amateur wrestling as well. But definitely the 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 time and being in pro wrestling and uh, the big bumps off the top rope, and just doing the same bump over and over again. I mean, you're, you're jolting yourself around. It's I, I have my issues,
0: you know. Yeah, I think we all do, right? And that, like you said, getting out of bed is is oftentimes a, uh, it's a bit of a, a process at times. You know, lower back. I mean, there's times where I will be feeling fine, then all of a sudden, I'll wake up and like my lower back is just so tight that I'm like, hey. you know, and I'm and I'm sure you've done it too, where it's like trying to get that leg up to try to get that shoe on can be a challenge, oh you know, and, and I think that's part of our industry because I know going into it, it's like, you know, you're going to be beat up. Right. I mean, that's that's the weirdest thing I've I've never understood about pro wrestling is that people don't realize the physicality involved. It's like, no. I mean, these guys are really doing this. They're really hitting that math. They're really like, are they getting punched square in the jaw every night? No. Is it entertainment? Of course but it's very physical. I mean, like I don't know anyone who couldn't see that. they not realize that this is a physical industry. So um, yeah. And you, and you do pay for it over time. You know, you see, and, I, and I'm sure you saw it too, man. I saw it with Harley every day watching him walk around. I'm like, you know, and Harley's not doing um, crazy bumps every night. I mean, I think the craziest thing he probably did was that diving headbutt. So, so, but I, I still watched how he walked and I'm like, that's kind of our future. Right. You know? So, again we all make that decision to get into business we're young we're full of piss and vinegar we think like oh this will be this will be fun i can't wait to do it but then you know you, you said you hit 35 36 i'm sure when we hit 45 46 it'll be a completely different conversation um you yeah. know like you said like the hot yoga uh, stretching all that stuff i think is so important because you do have to loosen up you do like i, I noticed here more lately how tight my muscles get, like my hamstrings and stuff, and it's just like, man, I really need to do more stretching, more yoga, more stuff like that, because that, I mean, not just longevity as far as pro wrestling, but just quality of life, right?
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, worth, you know, having families, too, you want to be able to be active and not you know, hey, I want to be able to throw a football or play catch with my son without having any issues you know, and be able to run around and I, I think about a lot of the times what, we were naive to what we were going to experience later in life, and people always telling us, "Oh man, you got to work hard, you got to do this," and kind of feeding lines of bullshit to us as well. Yeah. In the early years, and it's it's funny you said that about you know a kid taking a big bump, and I I all the time every time I go back and watch a show, I always say, "Hey man, you got to take care of your body. You don't need to do that." You don't need to let somebody hit you in the face like that. And then you hear, well, he's my vet. They go, yeah, but you also at the same time, be like, can you just, you know, hey, d- have a conversation with somebody. Don't let somebody walk all over you. And I tell you, Ryan, I would never, ever, ever again let somebody kick me in the head the way that, I, you know, I see some of these guys taking on TV. I'm like, this is so stupid. It's the dumbest thing that you let somebody just blast you that way. And then a lot of times these guys don't even protect themselves. You know, and it's, it's, it is what it is. Every, you know, every era is a little bit different and people have difference of opinion and I respect that. But seeing as what I've gone through and I know you've had your share of head injuries as well and like, it's, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. What I've dealt with the past 10 years, it makes me question. People always ask me, would you, would you go back and change anything? And I said, I wouldn't change being in wrestling I would change my my ignorance of not listening to my body and the doctors, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I you know when I have a family, I I wouldn't I would hope my kid wouldn't want to be a pro wrestler, right? Just because of the experience. Now, granted, I want him to be into it and love it and have the passion I did and like you did. I mean, watching the Monday Night Wars. And when we were kids in junior high, there was nothing better. I mean, I loved, I loved the Monday Night Wars, especially the of of year. That's why I got, that's all the reasons why I got into wrestling. And at an age like that, believability. And I remember, and I'm sure you got into it too with kids arguing, that's fake. No, it's not. It's not fake, you know. And then, you know, eventually you get older and you learn it's a work. But it, it really isn't. Hey, the finish may be predetermined, but the way we hit each other in the ring you learn to absorb those punches and kicks and hit the mat it's so much more physical than just saying it's fake you know yeah. and, and what and what it takes you have to have some type of mental toughness to go in there and to be slammed in a ring and i remember when i first started learning how to run the ropes and we were all coming home with bruises on our sides from hitting the ropes for so long and i mean that took time to learn how to hurt the hit the ropes the right way and for your body to not get bruised by them, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, for sure. And the first time you hit the ropes, you're like, wow, that shouldn't hurt like that. But you know, it's just a, yep. a, a callus you build up and then you talk about all that mental toughness with wrestling. I mean, this is one I don't think people talk about much because I'm sure you've been there. You're laying, you know, on the mat face up and you see a guy in the top rope and he's about to drop an elbow or a leg on you. That's a perspective people can't appreciate because I remember asking a veteran, like I was going to take a top rope, top rope leg drop that night. I had never done it before. I was like six, seven matches in. and I was like, you got any advice? He goes, yeah, pray. And I'm like, yeah, right. Oh, okay. And he goes, I mean, you should be fine, but yeah, pray because, and I'm like, wow. Okay. And like, there it was. And I, I remember watching that perspective of him jumping off the top rope. He hit absolutely as perfect as you could, but still thinking, like, if he was off just a little bit, you know, I'm I'm fucked. Like, let's be honest. Like, I, I'm going to be messed up because that's a 200-pound that's a man jumping on my head. Like, that's – it's not something people really put in perspective, right? And that's always something that's bothered me. It's like, you don't understand that because you've never been in that situation.
1: Exactly. And, you know, it's funny is – is thinking about that in matches, and I've had times where guys have missed, overshot, and you know, and you, you have to eat it. And you know, of course, sometimes you give a little receipt or something comes in a little bit stiffer the next time for somebody missing. You know, I hey, I, I was always pretty good when somebody said, "Oh man, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry," you know. Yeah. Like, All right, I understand. And people then come up and apologize. I made sure to give them a licking back. Sure. You know, but hey, I, there was definitely times I know where I stiff guys on the ring on accident and i've gotten hit back you know and mm-hmm. but it's got to be cautious and i always feel like i was never a big high flyer i did stuff i did more selling off the top rope if somebody flipped me off yeah. that was it i was going to go on and to want to do that and my i really liked being more of a technician and working the crowd like that's that's where i liked it, being in the ring you know
0: sure and and i think that's the thing is we all kind of find our our niche you know i was a bigger guy right so I, I did catch a lot of guys coming off you know over the top rope or you know to the floor and and that kind of became my spot right i was the i was the base a lot of times and yeah but, but people also don't understand that it's like i'm trying to protect him trying to protect myself like as you know like there's i'm sure you've seen it the guys that kind of bail out when someone jumps out you know, on a, on a dive through the ropes or whatever. And, for that. Yeah. Doing that, Yeah. I mean, it, it happens. So I don't know. It's just one of those things about this industry, man. I think sometimes it, that does bother me when people don't get it. It's in, and like you were kind of talking about too, like, uh, like the paying your dues. Like I think now being in my mid thirties, I would respond to situations so much differently than I did when I was 20, 21, you know, yeah. you're basically, I mean, you started at 16, you're a kid, right? Like, so some of this, you don't even know any different people tell you, Hey, this is how it is, you know, but it doesn't have to be that way. And I, and I think some, I think there's some aspects of that that are improving as far as the wrestling industry, which I think is a good thing. But, um, I don't know, man, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things about it early on that really would rub me the wrong way of just how, People felt as though they could treat you a certain way just because of where you where you were in the industry at the time.
1: Yeah, all because of, you know you're you're taught you got to listen to your vets and you got to figure. Dude, no, well, you know I mean you you listen to the people and you know you respect that people have been longer in longer than you. with uh, you know, some dignity and not taking advantage of them. That's a noble mother thing. The politics that go in wrestling. That's one thing I don't miss. The right. politics. I mean, I just, and you know, for the most part, and I'm, I know you know this too, everybody that decides they want to be a pro wrestler, okay, we get into it for the passion of loving the industry. But at the same time, a lot of people that I've seen across the scene, they're nobody other than who they are for Saturday night, you know, yeah. on Friday night. So, I mean, uh, you got to take that into consideration too. So somebody that you got plenty of locker room bullies who would pick on people, and you know I I never was one of those individuals. I always wanted people to like me, and, and there's definitely a handful that did and didn't, you know. But it's you don't, you don't need to take advantage of the younger guys in the ring and take liberties at them. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's unfortunately just that whole um, it's like that bully mentality, right? Like you don't want to be. The kid getting picked on, so it's easier to be on the other side, siding with the bully to watch the kid get picked on. Right? Sometimes that schoolyard, yep. crap. Yep. And, I, and I'm not a fan of it. I mean, we all we all saw it to certain degrees. And then there's also like you know people in the business that just shouldn't have been in the business as far as as how they acted and, and the type of people they were. I mean, there, there's all kinds of things in wrestling, unfortunately. But I think for the most part, um, this business does humble you a lot, and or it should. And I think the second you feel like you might get a little bit too big for your britches, it's probably going to humble you in some way, shape, or form. So I always just try to tell people like you know be respectful, treat people well, um, you know work hard, you know help people out. That's a big thing I try to tell people is if you see someone that's struggling, say something. You know like especially if you have the means to. You, or knowledge, or what I always try to do is, if I see someone who has improved, I always try to go to a point of like, "Hey man, you're looking a lot better." Just so, because sometimes that's it's great to hear a little compliment like that because we all get in our own head, right? And we all think like, "Oh, I'm just the same guy I was." And if someone who you respect comes up and is like, "Hey man, your stuff's looking a lot better," that's enough to really like, "Oh wow, okay, maybe maybe yeah. things are better for me." So,
1: like, no, I and mean- then. Big difference. One compliment can make it, you know. Especially if you came in the back after a match, you're like, ah, oh, man, I really screwed that spot up in there. Uh, but you know, we know we're in that another ring. Doesn't mean the fans caught what we did, what we missed. Right. Because somebody's all willing to recognize
0: that you're working hard or you put some side on. You know, things look a lot cleaner. It means a lot, especially on the east. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think there's. There's so much to all of that as just, you know, ultimately um, being, being able to, to help people taking criticism, you know, and, and, you know, trust me, there's plenty of times in my career I got bad advice. I never, I never was, you know, I just always like, oh, thank you. I mean, like, I'm not going to apply that, but because I don't, you know, I I don't respect that person, but it's just like, okay, thanks. But, you know, at the same time, like there was a lot of people that did give me good advice and. I always try to be receptive of that, and thank you. I appreciate that, and you know, and ask their opinions because I know that's a that's a tough thing too, is to ask people's opinions because sometimes um, sometimes people don't give their opinion unless you ask them. So yeah. you know, there's a, little, a lot of elements of this industry that are, that are confusing sometimes, but. But man, I don't wanna I don't wanna keep you here all day. I know you've probably got a, a busy day ahead of you. I appreciate you hopping on the show with me. This is so much fun to catch up with. I'm sure we could probably spend another several hours just dissecting each individual topic, but if there's so much I, I looking at my notes here going down. I'm like, oh, let's
1: go over this topic, I have this. Like there's there's a lot more we can talk about. I mean, I, I even think about the second time I saw you as down at Harley's camp when I came down in two thousand nine.
0: Right. And I really
1: that that camp made a difference for me. Did it? Good, like, good. Learning from everybody down there, and when I brought back, you know, being there for a week, some of the things I learned, the one drill that I really liked that you guys were doing was the, the bump and feed four-quarter drill. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when I took that and I brought that back to my dream. I'm like, we need to do this. Just bump and and feed around the ring and use the rope, use the turnbuckle, you know. How do you do that in a match? It really helped me. Um, just in the process of feeling things out and you know, that was a great experience going down there and making friends with uh, you guys and other individuals that ended up being on shows with, you know, in different parts of the country. So, you know, that was awesome. oh yeah. There's so much to go on. You know, I really appreciate you having me on, reaching out to me. Glad you're doing well. Uh, you know, obviously both our times is done when it comes to pro wrestling, but it doesn't change the passion that we have, What is
0: done for us. That, and, that's, and that's so true, right? It'll never change the passion. Like, do I do I want to step foot in the ring again? No, but I want to see people that have passion for this succeed if that's what they want, you know? But at the same time, I've also, my views have changed. If I see people that are talented, but they're like, I don't know if I want to wrestle anymore, I, I look at it differently because before I'd be like, no, you got to wrestle because you're so good at it. Now I'm like, you know what? If it's not for you, that's fine because... This is a demanding industry. This is a brutal industry. If you don't want to be a part of it to some degree, I completely understand. If if maybe having a family is more your cup of tea, I completely get it. Because this industry and business can be all encompassing at times, and we have to do what's right for right right for ourselves ultimately. Yep, it chews you up and spits you out, man. Yeah, it'll
1: use you just as much as you use it.
0: Right. You know? No, no. What's with, with, without a doubt, man. Well, brother, I, I appreciate you being on the show. Like I said, this is an absolute blast. I'm sure we'll catch up again down the road, and um, uh, hope, I hope. I'm glad you're doing well. I'm, I'm glad that you've kind of found uh, your, you know, maybe your calling or your passion outside of pro wrestling because I think that's very important for a lot of people. And uh, do you have any social media or anything that you uh, that you like to promote? I don't know if you're a, you're a big social media guy or anything these days. I know some people are kind of falling out of that, I guess. But I was yeah, like, to try I mean- to. If people want to connect with you, I always try to throw that out there.
1: I um I I do have my social media. I'm actually you know i have taken I did a little dry January, no social media for no, no alcohol, just kind of reset my mind. But I do have Instagram, I have Twitter, and I have Facebook. February first, everything will be turned back on again. Right. You know, but a little clearance. Instagram's double J nineteen, and Facebook is just Justin James and on Twitter it is Justin James
0: 1919
1: perfect so I to post you know old matches or some pictures and stuff like that I'm still still somewhat involved and in, you know, I'm always rooting for, for, for So yeah. I really appreciate you reaching out to me and I know we've been able to kind of see each other's lives on social media so like you know that's a, that's one great thing about social media is still staying plugged in because I haven't seen you in person in you know over 10 years
0: And you think about it, how would I have even been able to reach out to you had we not had some sort of social media, right? Because without that, like, we would have been a little bit lost in trying to put this together. So I'm I'm glad in that regard because it does allow you to connect with so many different people. Um, I just had another guy on here uh, last week named Mick Drake, uh, or maybe two weeks ago, who was um, – I met through a Harley race camp in like 2013 or 2014. So – Um, it's really cool that, you know, you're able to connect with all these different people from different walks of life that all share that same passion of pro wrestling, you know? And I think that that's been a really fun thing for me and, uh, taking this time to sit down and just kind of, you know, shoot the bull on, on the industry, our experiences, you know, the ups, the downs, all that stuff. And my thought is maybe we can take our experience and show people, who are in the business like, Oh wow, that's exactly how it was. Or pe- people outside the business and realize like, wow, that's not at all what I thought. And, um, and that to me is the, the whole, the whole kind of purpose of this, right? Yeah. Just letting people kind of figure out what our lives are like at, at different points. Yeah. I mean, I, you know,
1: I wish you nothing but the best. And it's awesome. you doing this podcast. I think it's great. And, you know, continue, there's an audience out there and I hope more and more listeners keep tuning into you. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely going to be doing more of that myself. And uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to do a quick shout-out really quick. Sure. Anybody in the Chicago area that's looking for wrestling shows to go to, check out uh, Powell Entertainment. Uh look them up on Google or Facebook. My old trainer and really good friend Jimmy Blaze runs that. And if you're up kind of in uh, a little bit more northern Michigan area, UWE Universal Wrestling Enterprise is run by Eric Freedom. And uh, I've had the pleasure of being in the ring with both of them, and especially Eric. Um, I consider him a trainer to myself later in my wrestling career. And he really helped elevate my gameplay, put me in the ring with uh, bigger names, especially Al Snow, me go down and trial for TNA. And uh, those guys were all about the business get trials for WWE, go to japan and you know so entertainment and uwe up in michigan eric freedom jimmy Place, check them out love those guys ryan i greatly appreciate you having me man
0: yeah absolutely brother this is an absolute blast and i can't wait to do it again down the road right on let's stay in touch cool All right, we are back here to close up episode 64 of, you know, it's fake, right? The ongoing battle with the dirtiest four-letter word in pro wrestling. Big shout-out to my guest this week, Justin James. I'm sure I'll have him on again down the road. We had a really fun time just, uh, you know, shooting shooting the crap about the business, you know, just talking wrestling. And I think that's a, that's a big thing I enjoy, you know. And I forgot to shout-out um, last week, Mick Drake. A lot of people really love my conversation with Mick Drake. It was a super fun conversation. And uh, he's another guy that I kind of just met through a random Harley race camp and have him, you know, stayed in contact with, um, since then and talk with every so often. And a guy who I really want to see his, his progression, his journey as he he makes his way through the business. It's just, a, it's a lot of fun. And to me, that's kind of what this show's about. This show can be about anything I want it to be. I guess I can talk to anybody I want to talk to, but it's really cool to be able to find a, a guy like, uh. You know, like a Justin James or a Mick Drake, and who are in the business, or they were anyway, and grinded their way through it, and and then kind of get you know their thoughts of where they're at now, and and that could change in a year from now, right? I mean, they could be in different spots completely, and I think that that's what makes this show so interesting. And um, and my guest this coming week uh, will be Daniel Cross returning. Daniel Cross uh, was actually my fourth guest ever. I had to look that up on the show. I, uh, right before I launched the show, I made a trip up to Eldon, Missouri, my old stomping grounds, and I did a podcast with Jack Gamble, Daniel Cross, and Dan Geyer. And uh, I think they were like episodes one, let me look, four and six, okay. And then I, you know, I did some other ones in there, but uh, yeah, he was one of the first guys I wanted to talk to. We had podcasted the first time a couple of years before that. And he's a guy I always wanted on, but he hadn't really embraced technology at the time, which I'm sure he's very well aware of. And um, so, we really could never figure out a way to do it online. And he started listening to the shows and enjoying them. And so I'm like, "Dude, well, I got to have you on." And so I had him on Breaker and Main's Power Hour. I you now had him on. You know, it's fake, right? And this will be our, our third time recording. He's also been on the TB Toycast. He's a really fun guy to talk to, and and I think he's a guy that I I really. Felt like when I first started with wrestling, like he was very real. Like he was just kind of like, yeah, I like this, but he had a, like a love hate with wrestling, which I think we all develop at t- at different times as you, um, as you progress through the business. But he also was a big, uh, big toy fan, not the biggest collector, but, uh, is a big fan. And we're always kind of talking about that. And so he loves the TV toy cast. We talk about that as well. And his love of collecting, he got really big into Funko pops there for a while and a few other random things, which are really fun. So we have a really fun conversation and he's a guy that has kind of stayed away from wrestling since he left, which I know is probably hard to do at times, but it's also kind of a very admirable thing because it is hard for us to stay away even though we shouldn't be involved at times or or whatever it might be when you know your time is up, your time is up and it's it sometimes it's it's hard to to realize that yourself and to to legitimately stay away. So something I've always appreciated about Daniel Cross. So that will be coming up again. Next week, um, for his return interview as we, uh, as we travel through 2022 here. And of course I want to shout out some of my uh, podcasting buddies, like the fully posable wrestling figure podcast with Jeff and Scott over there dropping a new show every Sunday. And of course, Scott's side project, drunk wrestling history, doing the favor with Eric and Barry dropping a couple of shows, uh, watch alongs and sports podcast, check them out. The Positively Pro Wrestling Podcast with Steven Eric. I think they just did an episode on WrestleMania 11. Ooh, I can't wait to hear that one. Uh, The Ringside Rant with RJ. Check him out as well. The Leisure and Lariats Podcast with Ruthless Ryan Davidson. Need to uh, get him back on the show at some point. Boots to the Face with Marty and Rucker. Tales from the Estate with Drew Vinsel and his wife, Caitlin. And, of course, don't forget the twins over there at Tales from the Estate. Uh, Wreck My Podcast with Jordan Zeilinger and his crew. Talking all things pop culture. Trivia with Buds with the one and only Ryan Buds, dropping trivia every single day, which is great for road trips. Howlin' with the Wolf with the one and only Jason Wolf. In fact, I've got some new uh, Chop Shop figures coming. He's been sending me pictures, and let me tell you, they are magical. I cannot wait to show these off publicly. They are amazing. And, of course, uh, all the cool things he's doing over there. Pulling up a chair with our buddy Tim over at a chair shot. Night of the Nerdy Laser Podcast, if you like horror films. And then Catching Up with Aaron and Daniel. And, of course, my other shows, Breaker and Bane's Power Hour every Sunday. Bane has No Holds Barred with Bill Benis every Tuesday. And then the TV Toy Cast every Thursday. Lots of stuff for you. So check all that out. Make sure to check out our t-shirts, prowrestlingtees.com forward slash Brian Breaker, bbph.redbubble.com. In fact, I've been showing off some retro Redbubble shirts we have on my Instagram, so check that out. And then also over on uh, whatamaneuver.net, search by store for Breaker and Bane's Power Hour or the TB Toycast. And we have five shirts amongst those two stores, including the new one on the TB Toycast. We're calling it KB Toycast, kind of a a homage to KB Toys. So if you remember the days of that amazing toy store in the mall, I think you'll enjoy that shirt. So check all that out over at whatamaneuver.net. Thank you guys for checking out You Know It's Fake Right. And remember, as the great Johnny Valentine once said, I cannot make you believe that pro wrestling is real, but I sure as hell can make you believe that I am. I'm Brian Breaker. This has been You Know It's Fake Right. And we'll see you guys next week.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Wonderful.
0: I've been a rapper. and i can stand toe to toe with the best of the minute don't give a damn about critics they talk a lot but at the end of the night i'm selling the tickets all the tough guys avoid me the ladies all adore me paparazzi record me i can put on a clinic on my opposers